When I was on a cruise last summer in Northern Europe, I jumped ship to spend some extra time in St. Petersburg. And I'm so glad I did. Founded by Tsar Peter the Great back in the 18th century, it's considered Russia's cultural capital, and it's clearly its most western-facing city. I think that might be why I find it so accessible for an American visitor. It does take a little extra effort to get there on your own. You'll need a visa. And you'll probably need some help deciphering the language and understanding some of the customs. But I found it to be well worth the trouble. To learn why St. Petersburg has such an appeal, we're joined by two guests, Cameron Hewitt and Atelka Parina Beretz. Cameron co-authors some of my guidebooks, and Atelka is a tour guide from Hungary who is a student in St. Petersburg, and now she leads travelers around that city. Atelka and Cameron, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. Spasiba. Atelka, you were there as a student in the 1970s, and That's then you right. go back now, a generation later, basically. True. St. Petersburg must have changed a lot since then. How does it strike you as different today from when you were a student there in the 70s? Believe it or not, back in those years, the only thing we could eat, uh, potato with potato, bread with bread. But now, whenever I enter into a shop, I can get fruits. This is a highlight. You can get fruits? Fruits. Now, Cameron, in your estimate, is it worth the trouble for us to work St. Petersburg into a vacation given the headaches involved in getting a visa? I would say the answer is a qualified yes. I think uh, for most people it's worthwhile. There is a lot of hassle involved, though, and I think that's the trade-off that American travelers have to, to deal with, the hassle mostly being the visa issue. Uh, it's one of the rare European destinations that Americans have to get a visa that you don't just get it on the fly at the border. You have to take some advanced measures and plan and several costed, weeks ahead. It costs a couple hundred dollars, doesn't Once it? Once you factor in right uh, the visa charge and a service agency to help process it, figure at least $250 a person. So it's, it's sort of like you're paying a hefty admission charge, even just to enter the country of Russia. Now, Cameron, when we're on this sort of nitty-gritty stuff, you need to get a visa. Talk just briefly about money, safety, water, language, all these sort of basic issues for a traveler. Uh, logistically for Americans, if you're used to traveling in most of Europe, Eastern Europe or Western Europe, you're going to find there are a lot of differences once you get to Russia. St. Petersburg is the most, the westernmost. It's the most uh, European of all of the cities of Russia. But you still have some differences, as you alluded to. Uh, you really shouldn't drink the tap water. You have to get used to this uh, different currency. Some of the basics, like ATMs, are still the same. Um, but there's just a few more hurdles. I'd say the biggest hurdle from my experience is, as an American who doesn't speak Russian uh, there's a huge language barrier. Um, there's a language barrier complicated by a script barrier. There's also the script barrier, <laughs> right, yes. Because you got uh, the Cyrillic lettering, so even if it behooves you to learn that Cyrillic script. You know, one of my pointers for anyone and any American going to Russia is take a few minutes a day for a week before you go, memorize the Cyrillic alphabet. It's really not that hard. The first time I went, I just made flashcards. About a third of the letters are the same as in English. About a third of the letters come from other uh, alphabets, so they might be kind of Greek letters. So there's something that looks like a Greek pie, and it's a Russian P. And then confusingly, about a third of the letters look like an English letter, but it's a different sound. Because when I look at the word restaurant when I was a kid, I always thought pectopa. Pectopa, right. And there's a pectopa where they serve food, but then I... Because <laughs> a Cyrillic P is an R and a, a Cyrillic C is an S, so... And, and the funny thing is, if I just learned the script, the word is essentially the same. You can read the word restaurant in the, in the Russian if you knew the Cyrillic and not, you don't even need to know the language. If you were suspicious, you might think they designed this alphabet just to confuse visiting Americans. However... It is so easy to decode it. Um, like I said, the first time I went, I made flashcards every night. I'd go through them once, and in a week, I could slowly sound out Cyrillic words on the street. And uh, when you talk about St. Petersburg, Italka, uh, if you know the Cyrillic, it'll help because you want to use the metro. 
Talk about what is unique about the metro, the subway system in St. Petersburg. The public transportation is great, not only in St. Petersburg, but in Moscow and other uh, cities as well. Mm-hmm. And easy to use, especially in St. Petersburg, because uh, not only the Cyrillic letters, you can read it in the Latin letters as well. And what is really unique at the metro once you get into the station, you feel some of the stations that you are in the living room of uh, the city, like Avtovo Metro Stop. This is my favorite one. You go down and beautiful, beautiful statues uh, from the communist days. You feel like it's a, a palace for the a workers. Palace. That's a palace because, for the workers. Of course, in the communist days, it was the dictatorship of the proletariat, and it cost two cents, two pennies to take the metro, and, and you get this beautiful art and these elegant chandeliers. It does feel like a palace for the workers. And people read entire books just while on the escalators going down and up into the subways because they're so deep. Deep. These are the longest escalators I've ever taken. Yeah. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about St. Petersburg. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Tom's on the line in Seattle. Tom, thanks for your call. Thank you. Uh, We're going to be in St. Petersburg as part of a cruise. We talked to the people on the cruise line, and they recommended just taking the ship's shore excursions because the visas, to get the visas is very complicated and the ship's, I guess, tours already have a common visa that that you can use without going through the hassle of trying to get the Russian visa. This is an excellent question, one a lot of people have, and it's complicated. There's a number of different answers to the question. The two basic options are getting a cruise shore excursion or getting your own visa. Uh, There's pros and cons to both. If you get the cruise ship shore excursion, it's true, you don't need an individual visa. The catch that they might not be advertising is that you have to stay with your escort or your tour guide the entire time that you're on land. So those excursions are designed to take advantage of the fact that you are not wanting to get a visa and to make more and more money out of you and take you only to their version of St. Petersburg. Now, the option of getting a visa is intriguing, but it is more complicated. Uh, Basically, figure about $250 a person. You'll actually have to mail your passport in Uh, to the Russian embassy for a couple of weeks. The flip side to that is once you have that visa, you can walk off the ship and have the city by the tail. You can do whatever you want. You can go to any restaurants, shops, museums, and so forth on your own. People think, well, $250, I don't want to spend that to get my own visa. But keep in mind, you're in town for two days. That means if you want to get off the ship, anytime you want to get off the ship, you have to pay for an excursion. And Mm -hmm. that can add up to far, far more than $250. So it's probably going to actually save you money if you're a fairly independent traveler to do it on your own. There's a new option, which is local tour guides that provide the same uh, visa-free service. There is a third option. Uh, Local agencies, you can book them to do your own kind of private shore excursion. Sometimes they'll take care of the visa stuff for you, sort of like the cruise line, or sometimes you get your own visa and they'll meet you at the ship and show you around, and then it'll be less expensive because they don't have to deal with all the bureaucracy for you. And there's a lot of great resources online. Cruise Critic, for example, is one of many websites where people who've been to St. Petersburg have had a good experience with a guide, and they can give you information for that, that sort and of thing. And I think when all the dust settles, that's the option I would vote for. Good. Very good. Thanks thank for you. your call. Okay, thank you. Sally's calling in from Nokomis, Florida. Sally, thanks for your call. Hello, Rick. I had an experience, a very good experience, with a private guide, as you just described a few years ago from a ship. But if we did go back to St. Petersburg, we would like to possibly try and do this on our own. But... We would like some assistance, I guess, in finding out how to get from the the cruise port into St. Petersburg. Now, Sally, I was just, I can help you on this because I was just there on the cruise ship, and it was scary, i got to mention. It took me a day to get used to things. 
you know, everybody left the cruise ship, and then I just walked off all alone. I'm in this vast, um, what's it called, Cameron, the Marine? The Marine Facade Cruise Terminal. And it, it holds like six cruise ships at the same time, and, and there was just a lady sitting at a desk arranging taxis. And I thought, well, I'm going to get ripped off here, but I'll just go for it. Because, you know, typically when you're in uh, this part of the world, they'll charge tourists a fortune for uh, some sort of a taxi service. And she had a government-regulated list of, of taxi services, and she made a call, and I made, I think I paid her, and it was reasonable. It was 20 euros or something, and I had my taxi, and he took me all the way downtown. I was very impressed by how well that works. So I think Russia is getting its act together in organizing these kind of things, and, and I, I like that. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling, and good luck next time you're in St. Petersburg. We're exploring Russia's former imperial capital, the great city of St. Petersburg, with Cameron Hewitt and Atelka Parina Barretz, right now on Travel with Rick Steves. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Celeste is on the phone in Princeton, Indiana. Celeste, thanks for calling. Hi, it's a pleasure to be with you. Um, I had the pleasure of studying in St. Petersburg back in 1993, and I would encourage all of your travelers to perhaps try to explore uh, Russia and St. Petersburg as a tourist who arrives by plane or train. A cruise ship is great, but there's so much to do and experience in that city that you can't do in a day or two. And yeah, uh, you're right. I just visited eight or nine cities by cruise ship in Northern Europe, and I enjoyed it thoroughly, but... And for many cities, you know, one well-organized day, eh, it was really great. But St. Petersburg, I, I gave myself five days, and I wanted every one of those days. St. Petersburg is definitely worth flying into and, and taking more seriously than just jumping off the cruise ship. Or you can take the train. It's just a, a quick four-and-a-half-hour express train from Helsinki. <laughs> so there's lots of ways to go. There certainly is. Thanks, Celeste, for your call. Thank you so much. Okay, bye now. Cameron, when you think of St. Petersburg, of course it was, first it was St. Petersburg, then it was Leningrad, and now it's St. Petersburg again. What's the connection with Peter? The city was actually founded by Peter the Great, the great Russian czar, around the year 1700, 1703. And remember, Peter was this Russian czar who really wanted to modernize the Russian empire that he became the czar of. He actually traveled in Europe, in Western Europe, in Holland and England. Uh, they say he went undercover in the Amsterdam shipyard so he could really understand what, what life was like there. And he brought back all these ideas that he wanted to create the perfect European city, even though it was Russia and the cultures even then were extremely different. So basically, St. Petersburg was built on a swamp to Peter the Great's vision, imported uh, architects and uh, land planners and uh, artists from all over Europe, especially Italy and France. It's basically a, a European city in the corner of Russia facing Europe. Uh, in some ways, it's the least Russian of European Russian cities because it's designed as a European one. What are the sites in St. Petersburg that relate directly to Peter the Great? The horsemen, uh, the bronze horsemen. This is a, a very important horse statue because it was uh, dedicated to Peter and given by Catherine the Great. So Catherine the Great, a, a later czar, honored Peter by building this incredible statue. Atelka, I'm impressed by how many buildings survive from the age of, of Peter the Great and Catherine the Great. What are some of the sites in St. Petersburg today we can see that date back to the 1700s? Actually, some of the museums, which were a bit like the Hermitage. So the Hermitage is a great palace, but palace. Ex, and now a great art gallery. That's right, and one of the biggest in the world. Its collection is, uh, I would compare with the Louvre or with the British Museum, but for me, it's a number one. You can think of the Louvre, and you can think of the Prado, and the, you right. can think of the National Gallery in London. 
But the Hermitage collection really is world-class and arguably the best of all the painting collections of Western art in the world. That's it. One thing is the collection, and the other thing is the building itself, the Winter Palace where the Tsars lived. And once you enter in the lobby and you see the staircase, your jaws drops. It's something uh, magical. You can visit it as an art gallery, and you can visit it as a palace. palace. It's two-in-one. That's true. And even if there was no art in there, it'd be one of the great sites in all of Europe because of how great the palace is. Now, part of this massive complex of palaces was actually the Winter Palace for the Romanovs, and part of it was a purpose-built art gallery. What's your take on the actual collection inside, Cameron? Uh, the collection is really fantastic. There's a couple of Leonardo uh, oil paintings, which are very rare. There's only about 20 in existence. There's a lot of really interesting and really uh, one-of-a-kind kind of European masters to see. The second floor is that old master stuff. And then upstairs, there's a fantastic exhibit of modern European artwork. You've got uh, Picasso and Van Gogh and Gauguin and Renoir and Manet and anyone you can imagine. Uh, it's sort of like if you stack the Orsay on top of the Louvre and put it in a beautiful palace. As Atelka mentioned, it's arguably the best or one of the best uh, collections of European art. And this is a really interesting uh, point that's worth emphasizing. People go to this beautiful palace built by the Russian czars and Russia's showcase city. They think they're going to see Russian art. I don't think there's a single piece of no, Russian art. No one. There's so no it, Russian canvas in, in Telka, the If you want Russian art, what do you do? If I want uh, Russian art, I go to the Russian Museum, which is just 10 minutes walk. 10 minutes walk, 10 walk from, minutes the from the Hermitage. Yes. And what is most not to see only the pictures, but the icons. It is so Russian. So you can go chronologically through Russian art That's from the right. icons up until the end of communism when That's freedom true. came back to Russia. It's 10 minutes walk from the Hermitage and no crowds. No crowds. Compared to the Hermitage, which yes. is amazing. I was just in both, and I'll tell you, everybody's clamoring for the Hermitage to see the paintings you can see all over Europe, really. I mean, great stuff, but you can see your Raphael's and Leonardo's elsewhere. When you go to the Russian Museum, that's what I want to see in Russia, is great Russian art. And this is where you get it. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and every week we take you to someplace interesting with local guides. And this week we are learning about St. Petersburg. Etelka, give us some tips on eating without speaking Russian, while we're in St. Petersburg. I uh, encourage you to try the local type of cafeterias. Uh, for example, Teremok. It's a very, very Russian place. So Teremok. Teremok. T-E-R-E-M-O-K That's or right. something like yeah. that. Yeah. They give all kinds of Russian food. And once you come to the counterpoint, and maybe you get what you want, maybe you get something, just say, Spasiba and enjoy your meal. Another. And you can order different things experimentally because everything's very, very cheap. cheap and you might and experiment and find something you never knew about. That's true. Or another stolle. Uh, S-T-O-L-L-E, stolle. Stolle. You get all kinds of uh, pierogi filled with either meat or different kind of uh, fruit. And you come to the counter point, you get it and eat it and do your sightseeing. And they only cook up as much as they're going to sell. It's all fresh. And, all fresh and when they're and out, warm. they're out. My and frustration was like, I kept going late and they were sold and out of their pies. Yeah. So, Italka, we've got the cafeteria yeah. and, the, and the famous chain is Teramuk. We've got Stola, which is another sort of a chain restaurant That's where you right. get beautiful, fresh cakes, yeah. both sweet and savory. That's right. What's a couple more and ideas? And what is not really familiar uh, with the tourists and afraid to go in, I would recommend Talovaya. This is the real, real uh, challenge to go into a Russian Stalovaya. It's a kind of canteen. Usually they are in the basement. One of my favorite ones is next to the Kazan Cathedral. You go there, line up, grab a tray, 
and you see what is. Uh, it's an adventure. It's an adventure, yes, what they sell. And this is the most inexpensive way to have a meal in St. Petersburg. Cameron, if you want to travel in St. Petersburg and get a dose of uh, some of the communist history, the, the revolution and so on, what would the highlights be? There's several sort of historic sites tied to communism. For example, they still have the battleship Aurora. The cannon on this ship supposedly fired the day that uh, the Russian Revolution or the October Revolution started. Um, I think it's interesting to think about the layers of history in a place like St. Petersburg. I'm thinking about the churches, for example. Of course, during communism, a lot of the churches weren't allowed to be open as churches. Atheism was a state religion and so forth. So the churches that weren't destroyed were turned into other things. Almost as an insult to those churches. Right. They left these beautiful buildings standing, but they wanted to make sure they were something very undignified in a way. So, for example, the, there's a grand church right on Nevsky Prospect. It's called the, the Cathedral of Our Lady of Kazan. It was the Museum of Atheism during communism. And the other thing that I thought was really interesting, I was uh, with a local friend in St. Petersburg, and he took me to this beautiful, ornate church that's still being renovated. It's called the Opina Pustin Church. Uh, he told me that it used to be a hockey rink, a hockey arena during communism, and that when they were doing the restoration work, they literally found a hockey puck embedded deeply in the wall where somebody had knocked it into the plaster and no one bothered to dig it out. There is so much that you can learn and be inspired by, and, and so thankful that you took the trouble to find a way to get to St. Petersburg, Russia's window on the west. We've been joined by Itelka Parina Baretz and Cameron Hewitt to talk about St. Petersburg. Itelka, when we visit St. Petersburg, what's something we should be sure to appreciate? Sure, you should appreciate uh, the Second World War monument, the Sage Monument, because uh, even today people remember Leningrad. Thousands and thousands of people died in the siege of Leningrad. 900 days siege, can you imagine? 900 days. 900 days. days. And Every family has got someone who died. With all this passion for getting beyond the Soviet Union and all that communism, uh, the one area where you find St. Petersburg referred to as Leningrad, the old communist name, is whenever you've got something dealing with the siege out of respect to the heroic people that stood up against Hitler during that horrific time when Leningrad survived the Nazi determination to wipe it off the face of the map. And just to add one little story I had on the metro some years ago, uh, there was a kind of uh, not very nice talk on the metro, and an old lady stood up and told, Hey, we Leningradzi. It means, hey, you from Leningrad, you shouldn't behave like that. And believe it or not, there was science. Have some self-respect. You That's are right. citizens of Leningrad. The heroic city. The heroic Even, city. Yeah. Wow. St. Petersburg, so much to see, so much to learn about, so much to be inspired by. Cameron Hewitt, Atelka Parina Baretz, Spasiba. Spasiba. Thank you, Rick. Each year, Rick Steves tour guides take free spirited travelers on escorted tours through Eastern Europe and beyond, one small group at a time. This year, we're featuring tours of the best of Eastern Europe, the best of the Adriatic, Prague and Budapest, and Bulgaria. For a free catalog and Rick's Tour Experience DVD, visit the tour pages at ricksteves.com. <laughs>